0: Hey, uh, turn to John chapter 7. Uh, while you're doing that, though, I want to talk to you a bit about a ministry opportunity um, and just to highlight it. Remember uh, what we do, we, we uh, kind of block out a little bit of time before the sermon each week to do what we call an on-ramp, where we want to make sure that we're consistently inviting the church, the body of Christ, into the ministry. This is not a deal where y'all just... You know, give some money and, and the staff does all the ministry. The Bible says we're here to uh, the staff, uh, the pastors, the, the, those paid by the church are here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so we want to always keep that before you and make sure that there's on-ramps and opportunities for you to um, join that work, participate, carry on that work. And one of the most essential um, ministries that we do here is our kids' ministry. And so I want to invite you, uh, encourage you, exhort you. To join us back there, God is working back there. Um, the fertility of the church is working back there. Like, there's a lot of kids back there. There's some classes, a couple of them that are huge, and there's a lot of energy. So bless those that serve back there I already. Pray uh, for them, thank them. But we need more of you to to join us in this work. And so we have an opportunity. We need all volunteers to j- come to this meeting. I think the email said strongly encouraged. That's about as as like. As close as we can get to requiring volunteer people to be there, we really want to make sure that we take some time to sync up on the importance of how we operate, the ministry that we want to do, the the, the The presentation that we want to have for new people as they're coming in and dropping off their kiddos. They're trusting us as volunteers, as a church, with their most prized possessions. We want to make sure we have a standard of care and a standard of of operating procedures. But more than that, we want to keep the ministry in mind and we want to be on the same page. So September 17th, if you serve in Journey Kids, please make it your priority to be here. We're going to feed you. Um, and if you're going to serve back there, you're going to need to know this information. And so the alternative is like meeting with Rachel some other time and, and her going through it with you one-on-one. And, and she's not going to feed you then. Okay? So you need to come to this one because you've got to hear it. So so come September 17th and, and, and join us. And if, you're, if you haven't started serving back there, or maybe you think, I don't know if I could serve back there, come and let us... Uh, engage you in some conversation and see if there is indeed a place for you. We do need more of the body serving uh, back there in Journey Kids. And so please, please, please consider that. Ask questions. You can go to thejourneysi.org and sign up there. You can stop and see Rachel after the service if you've got questions or, uh, or myself or Chad or whoever. We would love to talk to you about Journey Kids. We love this ministry and we want it to, to be the best that it can be. And We need your help with that. So September 17th, make those plans. Join us. We'll feed you. It's going to be good. Plan to be here right after church. All right, John chapter 7. We're going to finish up chapter 7 today. Uh, That will put us right at a third of the way through um, the book of John. And we're going to pause after today. We're going to pause and do a four week series called um, Who is the Church? And, and so we're going we're gonna to walk through just kind of what does it mean, like wh- who is the church, why the church, what, what does it look like to be the church, and, and some of those questions. And so we'll pause uh, partway through John, do that for four weeks, and we'll come back and pick up in chapter 8 with a woman caught in adultery, a famous story. So we'll come back to that after a few weeks, but uh, that's coming up next week. Um, who is the church? So join us there. But today we're going to wrap up John chapter 7 with verse 40 through uh, the first verse of chapter Eight. So if you would, turn uh, there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, you got a Bible app, that's fine. If you want a physical Bible, there's some uh, in a seat back. If, there's, if it's not close to you, just ask your neighbor, hey, can you hand me that? We'd love to. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take that home as our gift to you. And in those Bibles, this is on page 893 and 894. It's John chapter 7, starting in verse 40. Let's read this together. This is. The word of the Lord, he says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why didn't you bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, Uh, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and and learning what he does? And they replied to him, are are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They each went to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And so this sort of wraps up this, this this is the word of the Lord, by the way. I want to keep our rhythm going. Thanks be to God that he gives us his word. Amen. Uh, So this kind of wraps up. This extended dialogue that really started back when Jesus fed the 5,000 plus, right? And, and prompted this, this ongoing teaching. And then uh, there was a break. There was a season where, where Jesus wasn't in, in the public eye as much. And then we had this Feast of the Booths. Uh, and everybody's gathered again. And Jesus comes and teaches. And this is, this is continuing kind of some dialogue from there. But it sort of wraps it up. And so it starts in verse 40 saying, when they heard these words. So what are these words? Well, we looked at them last week. But to summarize, it's when Jesus stands up uh, to all the people that are gathered in Jerusalem for this Feast of Booths. And said, if anyone's thirsty... Come to me and drink. Now, let me, let me just translate that for you if you haven't set with us in the context of John. What Jesus is saying is, hey, anybody have any cravings about life that they can't seem to satisfy? Anybody trying to, to get happy or fulfilled or find purpose or forgiveness? Anybody got something longing in their soul? And if we're honest, we'll all say yes, right? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And drink, I give you fountains of living waters welling up in you. It's an incredible statement, and it's a divisive statement because it is an offensive statement to many. It is, is a statement that brings life and regeneration and hope to those that have believed in Jesus and are believing in Jesus, and it brings offense and hatred from the other side. And so this we, we see that right off the bat. When they heard these words, there's a division about what do people think of Jesus? How do they respond to these words? And so some people said, this really is the prophet. So the prophet that they're referring to comes from Deuteronomy 18, where, where Moses is telling them, hey, God's going to send you a prophet. He will speak much like me. He will speak with authority. He will lead you in the way that you should go, and you should listen to him and follow him. So the people of God, the Israelites, have been looking for this prophet. And, and as you'll see, the next group says, well, this is the Christ. And so for some, they believe these are two different beings, that God will send the prophet, and then he will send the Christ, and they, they might be, be separate. And so some are saying, hey, I, I think this is it. This is the guy that Moses was talking about. This is the prophet. And others are going, I think he's the Christ. This is him. Remember last week, some of them are simply saying, it's a good argument. They're simply saying, if the, like, is there really somebody coming that's going to be better than him? Is there really somebody coming that's going to do more than what Jesus has done right before our very eyes? And so there are people that are processing in real time who Jesus is, what he's done, and and they're making decisions. They're making decisions about what place are they going to give this Jesus in their life. Because you see, this is not just a matter of, you know, identifying what group this man should go into. This is divisive because the way that Jesus is talking, the way that he is uh, presenting his ministry with such authority, with such miracles, this is really a matter of, will I submit in authority to this man? Will I give him my life? Or will I resist? Will I not? And, and, and in order to respond to Jesus, you have to do something with who he claims to be. And this is uh, an example, very biblically. Like it's just walking us through uh, the, the different ways that people respond. Some people are, go- are cool with saying, hey, Jesus is this a great teacher. This must be who Moses was talking about. I like the way this guy teaches. He's got good authority. He, he brings the Bible to life for me. I like it. Let, like, I like this guy. Let's make him a prophet. Let's let him speak to us more. Some people are cool with that with Jesus, aren't they? They're cool with saying, let me give, let me give some more Jesus teaching. I like this guy. He's a good thinker. He's, he, he, he brings about peace. Like, let, let's, let's, let's get some more Jesus beatitudes. Like, you know, I don't, I don't want any of that stuff when he starts calling him out my stuff. But like, ah, I like this Jesus teaching overall. Some people are cool with that. Other people are all in. They're convinced this is the Christ. Jesus is everything. We're all in. And we hope that that's the, the place that we, we find ourselves this morning. You're there, that you're convinced that Jesus is indeed the Christ. That's why John has written this book. That's why we've gathered this morning. That's why we have sang. That's why we came to a table and dipped bread in a cup and ate it. Because we are convinced that Jesus is indeed The Christ, the Messiah, the one who has come to save, the only one who can save, his name is Jesus. That's why we've gathered. That's what we're here for. And so there are some there that that they're in that place, right? And then others are are a bit more confused and and more skeptical because they're saying, well, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Like Jesus is from Galilee. Galilee was not a particularly reputable part of the country. It wasn't a place where people were excited to be from. You didn't necessarily wear your Galilee t-shirt out in public with a lot of pride, right? It wasn't that kind of a, of a place, but, and so there's some questions. Is the Messiah, like, is, okay, I get it. Jesus has done some incredible things. Like, this is what they're weighing out. Because you, you can't argue the people that are going, hey, if, if, there's, if this isn't the guy, like, who's gonna beat what he's doing? People are going, okay, yeah, but he's from Galilee. How could he? Like, is the Christ to come from Galilee? And they're going. First of all, nothing good comes from Galilee. From like, you see this in other places. But then, second of all, like, I thought that he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Verse forty-two. Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? Therefore, the village where David was. Right. So they don't know or haven't heard or. Um, that Jesus actually was born in Bethlehem, right? You see, the story of God is so incredibly woven together. Um, and his promises, as Stacy said earlier, are so profound and so immense. And, and yet, in Jesus, the Bible says, in Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes. They find their fulfillment in, in him. And so, yes, God has said he will come from the line and from the town of David, from, from Bethlehem. Okay, and, and so when when the angel shows up to Mary, who's in Galilee, or more specifically the, region, like the town of Nazareth, that's not Bethlehem. So, did, did signals get crossed? Like, what's going on? But no, God has a plan to get the Savior to Bethlehem, doesn't he? He has a, a plan to get, we know this, well, I hope you know this, this is a Christmas story, right? Jesus gets to Bethlehem. God uses a pagan king to call a, a decree to have everybody counted and taxed and, and and so Mary has to go with her fiance Joseph to his hometown, which is back to Bethlehem to be counted, and there Jesus is born and so this is all so important, but they're missing some of this, and because they're missing some of this, they're skeptical they're asking um some good questions right and and, and they're they're wondering they're confused they're they're leaning in and so This is the debate. This is the division. And verse 43 simply tells us there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid their hands on him. So listen, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus um, didn't come to actually bring peace. And he actually told us this. Matthew and Mark both record times where Jesus goes, hey, just, uh, just a spoiler alert. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And, and that is a challenge to some of y'all's worldview about Jesus because you're like, wait, I don't understand why would Jesus bring a sword. But what he's saying in Matthew 10, verse 34 through 36, is, is he's saying, listen, I, there's going to be division. The, I'm not coming with this happy, like, kumbaya, everybody's good, we love everybody. Just come on in. It doesn't matter. Let's just, let's just sing together. Jesus isn't coming with that kind of message about peace. He isn't coming with this, oh, it's okay, Yeah, we saw what you did, but it's okay. He's not coming with that. He's coming with an offensive message. It's It's a message of salvation. It's a message packed with immense mercy, as we sang about, immense hope, immense transformation. But it is offensive to our personal pride, to our personal authority. It is absolutely offensive. Jesus says, listen. If anybody's like trying to hang on to their their love for their mom and dad or their family more than me, that it's not going to work, right? I'm going to turn. There's going to be people that are so transformed that they reject the traditions. This is why it says, l- "Listen, we're going to have daughters and mothers hating each other, sons and fathers. Why? Because there are going to be people that are so transformed by who Jesus is that they turn their back on the tradition that Chad has talked to us through the last couple weeks and earlier in verse or chapter seven. Like this is offensive to the tradition of. The day because people are turning their back on what they thought was good and right from a, from a good Jewish perspective, and families don't like that. It's, it's, uh, it's bringing shame upon many good Jewish families when the children or their wife or the husband or, or whoever start to, to follow Jesus. It, it, it brings division, and so this is, Jesus isn't surprised by this. He didn't have to huddle back up with God and go, okay, our plan's not going quite like I thought. I thought we'd bring peace to everybody, but some people are mad at me. Like, he knew exactly what he would be getting into when he stepped into this world. He knew that he would be offensive to our human faculties and and pride and our agendas. He knew that he would be offensive to those things, And, and here we see it. There's division. There's not a consensus Jesus is offensive, and there is differing views. Some even that want to arrest him. So, what happens uh, during this offense? What happens whenever? we're Like we, we're just going to see this, right? Because this is actually still true. We're, it's still true that the gospel is offensive. Here's the, here's the deal. If you if you are following maybe on social media or You know, maybe you attend another church you're just visiting today. If you're you're going to a church that claims to be preaching the gospel, but they never offend anybody, you need to ask some questions about what they're teaching. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be offensive for the sake of being offensive. We don't try to be offensive, right? The Bible's really clear. Don't don't be a jerk. But when you're preaching the gospel, it will be offensive, because you will have to call people to repent of their sin. You will have to tell people that their lifestyle, that they love so much, that they think must be right, that they can't see any other way. No, no, Jesus says you must live this way, and if, you, if you're not living this way, you've got to repent of your sin and come follow me. That's offensive to people, and if, if that is never preached, if, that, if people are never called to repent of their sins in a, in a place that calls themselves a church, then you need to run far away from that place. Because they're preaching a damnable uh, harmful message that tells everybody, hey, it's all okay. It's okay. love, love wins, right? And, and that sounds good because let me tell you something, love does win, but you need to be careful about defining love. because the love that wins took Jesus to the cross for our nonsense. So don't take your nonsense in and say, hey we should we should just love people because that's what God would do. like no. Our reasoning of what would be right, the Bible says it leads to death. And you and I are the ones that are supposed to die for our sins, for our nonsense. But Jesus says, I'm going to come and save you. And instead of you having to die, I'll die. So yeah, love wins. But it wins on its way to victory through a cross of humiliation cross that had to pay for the sins of the world. So the gospel, it's divisive, it's it's offensive, and we need to understand that. And we're going to see what happens when that kind of Jesus is presented before the people we got division amongst the people, right? The crowd is it. Some, some are saying it's prophets, some are saying it's Christ, some are just asking questions. What about the people who are in charge? What about the authorities? Let's see how they respond in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. So earlier in the chapter, uh, the, the, the authorities, the religious authorities uh, put formal charges against Jesus and told the, you know, the officers to, to go get him, right? So now you're going to see the return here. The, the scene is these guys are coming back. And, and they get asked the question, um, where's he at? Why didn't you bring him? And listen to their response, because it's super profound. Verse 46, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. We're going we're to come back to that. In fact, we're going to end there today. But let's see now. Real life, what it looks like when that gospel is threatening or offending the pride of man. Because what you're going to see here in these next few verses is grown men revert back to really childish and harmful ways. They're actually going to mock one another, they're going to pull out ways to tear other people down so that they can keep their little, you know, false security intact. So, Verse 46, the, the, those guys go, listen, I don't know why you sent us to arrest him. Like, there, I think there's a little bit of fear. There's a little bit of an, of an awe. Like, listen, I don't want to lay hands on that guy. No one's ever talked like him before. In verse 47, the Pharisees. This is the religious leaders. These are the people who are benefiting, if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, these are the people who are benefiting from the power that they hold. Because they are the ones that have been educated to teach the people a, a, about the Word of God, right? Not everybody can read. Not everybody has access. You, not everybody has the ability to pull up an app on their phone and look at the, at the Bible. Not everybody has three or four of these sitting at home collecting dust that they can look at if they want. Not everybody has different versions, right? In this day and age, like there is a scroll for the, each community if you're lucky. If you're blessed enough to have some scrolls in your temple, that like you go to the temple and there, the the religious, the priests, the, the, they can teach it to you. So the Pharisees were educated in the word of God. So, But that's not, like, that's not a bad thing. That's, that was necessary in that time. But their access to that, they begin to use that for their own good. They begin to use that for their own benefit. And they begin to lord that power over others. And they could teach what they want to teach. This is the reason that we preach through books of the Bible. Some of y'all are like, man, I just wish you preach more relevant topics and whatnot. You know, you preach through books of the Bible. Well, listen, part of the reason we do that Because that prevents us, that prevents me or other pastors or whatever from just preaching what I'm comfortable preaching, or what I want to preach, or what might benefit me. Instead, I've committed. We'll go all the way through this thing, book of John, whatever it says. We've got to preach it where it lies, play it where it lies, right? We've got to do something with this text. It prevents and, 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 and has some safeguard against, you know, leaving out things that might not benefit me leaving out things that might convince you to give a little bit more or, or to serve just a little bit, whatever, right, to manipulate. Because if you don't have the Bible to check it yourself, then what's to keep me from that? Well, you should check. Them. You do have a Bible, right? So, but they don't have this in this day. So the Pharisees, they've got this power dynamic that's happening. They are in charge. They have influence over the people. And now all of a sudden the people are going to this Jesus, And he's teaching things that are leading people away from their church, away from their circle, and that's what's fueling this response. And listen to how they respond. They go, "Are you also been deceived?" Right? They go, "Really? You believe him too?" Right? And they go, "Verse forty-eight. Have any of the Pharisees or the authorities believed in him?" So this is this is a, a, a debate. They're going, "Listen." Guys, we sent you to arrest this guy. And they're going, I don't, what am I arresting him for? And he freaks me out because he seems really, like nobody talks like this guy. I I think, the officers are saying, I kind of want to go listen to him. I don't want to arrest him. I want to see what he's going to do. And they're going, oh, so now you're going to follow him too? And they're going, how foolish are you? Do you see any of the people in charge? Do you see any of the people that have the knowledge? Any of the people that know the Bible? Do you see any of them running to Jesus? Have any of the Pharisees or authorities, have they, have they, are they believing in Jesus? You need to wake up. You're, you're being deceived. You're, you're being a fool. Don't go follow Jesus. Do what we say. We need to lock this guy up. He's a, he's a threat. He's, he's harming people, right? And so they, they just simply say, Man, have, you, have you been deceived? Have, has anybody else, has anybody that you can actually trust with authority, have, right? Has any of the, the, the good people in power, good people in power, have they, have they believed? And But they go, this crowd that's following Jesus, this is the Pharisees' response. They don't even know the law. And, and they're accursed. So they're saying to these officers, don't align yourself with the mob. These are uneducated country bumpkins. They're just being deceived by a guy who's got some tricks. Right? Don't, don't, don't go there. It's dangerous where they're at. All right, so this is the response. This is the, uh, when, when their power is threatened, when their authority is questioned, they respond with cutdowns and attacks and distortions of the truth, as we'll see next. Um, verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, we saw this interaction with, with Nicodemus and Jesus in chapter three. And, and we kind of said then, this is an interesting interaction. We don't know exactly where Nicodemus uh, doesn't seem to have chose to believe in that moment, but he's going to show back up. He shows back up here, and he's going to show back up at the cross. So it's interesting, Nicodemus has this interest in Jesus. And, and, and Nicodemus, we said at that moment, is like the Jew of Jews. Like He's a Pharisee, he has political authority, he has religious authority, and he's wealthy. So he comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I get this eternal life thing? And Jesus says, "We well, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, are you sure? Because, I mean, I got, I got like a pretty good resume. Like I know a lot of stuff, know a lot of Bible. People think pretty well of me. Like I don't think anybody's saying, yeah, that old Nicodemus guy, he needs to turn his life around. Like he's pretty well thought of. And Jesus goes, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Your righteousness, it's like filthy rags. You stand before a holy God. Something's got to be done with your filth. You've got to be born again. you got to be born again. And, and, and so they have this conversation. So this is from chapter 3. So now we're seeing Nicodemus back in his environment with the other Pharisees. And as this conversation comes up, you see Nicodemus just go like, Hey, um, is this how we treat people? Like we're men of the law. Does our law... Judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, that's not, that's not a real provocative statement, is it? Like, Nicodemus is simply saying, hey, guys, do we really want to, like, trump up charges and, and convict a guy without actually going through due process? Like, is that who we want to be? It seems like an easy yes. It seems like a justice system that you should be able to trust, right? We hope that our courts, we hope that our, our legal system, it's going to uphold the law and we can trust that people in those positions are going to do the right thing. And, and Nicodemus is just saying, hey guys, I, I, don't, I don't think this is how we want to operate. Okay? Simply just throwing in some logic, some appeal. How do they respond? They replied, oh, are you from Galilee too? And I think you need to hear it in this tone. Oh, are you from Galilee too? You are trying to protect your boy? They're like, seriously, why are you worried about some dude from Galilee? No, nobody matters in Galilee. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is their response. So, we can we could sit back and, and think, man, how could they? How could they be so foolish? How could they be so hard-hearted? How could they ignore truth and suppress evidence and, and distort facts? Like, how, how could they? We could sit back and just kind of scoff at these Pharisees. But if we do that, then we miss out on what the Bible has for us. Because what we actually need to see is that we are them. That we respond the same way when we are confronted. When our goodness is questioned. When our authority is threatened. Now, as far as I know, none of you guys are religious or political authorities. But we have our own. We have our own little kingdoms. We have our own little uh, realms of self-protection. And we also, we see people all the time ignoring, suppressing, distorting truth to protect ourselves from having to be humbled. So very clearly, people are willing. The truth stands. Right here, we know the story of Jesus. We know who he is. We know how it started. We know how it ends. And and they they don't really have a lot of reason to be, like, there's not a lot of excuses for them. Jesus has given them lots of time teaching and unpacking and explaining who he is, but he's often said, like, these conversations and intellectual exchanges is not going to be helpful for you. Until you are born again, you're not going to receive what I'm teaching. And so there's just this, this collision now that is happening between the, the, the spiritual movement of Jesus calling people to repent of their sins and trust in him as Savior is clashing against the kingdom of self, the kingdom of authority, the kingdom of, of this is who we are and, and this is how I want life to be. And we want a, a Savior, we want a political figure, we want religious backing to, to affirm who we are. We want our God, we want the Bible, we want our culture to affirm our values. How could you not be a Republican? How could you not be a Democrat, right? Like, we're so convinced of these values. How could you not be uh, this person? Or how could you not believe in this? And and we want to find the things and resources that will validate our our positions and our worldviews and our approaches to life. And when those things get threatened, very often we are not a people who would respond with humility and look at evidence and submit ourselves to the truth. What is more common is that we posture up. We posture up and we spout off our mouth or hit the keyboard or or whatever. We turn on our news station and and whatever. We want to get in our little echo chamber of voices that will tell us, no, no, you're right. Don't listen to them. So we, we need to go back and look at this Again, and, and check our own selves here. Because I think if we will let the Bible serve as James tells us, like, let it be like a mirror for you. He says, Don't, don't just read the Bible, you gotta do the Bible. If you just read it, you don't do it. James goes, You're like somebody who looks in a mirror walks away, and forgets what you look like. So we need to take a good long look in the mirror that is the scripture. And we need to see ourselves in these reactions and let Jesus lead us away from destructive pride and self-protection and into a life that comes through laying our own self down, That passage that I quoted earlier from Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. If you keep reading in there, he goes, it ends, verse 36 was saying, whoever's going to save their life will end up losing it. But those that want to lose their life for the sake of the gospel, they, they will find it. And so there's this upside down kingdom, this moral revolutionary ethic that Jesus is saying, no, it's not about Finding people that will affirm your goodness, your rightness, but rather admitting that you have no goodness, you have no rightness. And you need to repent of that sin and come to Jesus for transformation. That's the gospel. And if we will actually sit in it and not just hear the preacher and go, okay, cool, I, I did my church thing. There were some good words. Let me go to lunch now. Let me go back to my life. We do that, we're in danger of just kind of remaining in our positions. Jesus is, is, is spending immense amount of time with these people and he's unearthing these worldviews and these dangerous places that they're in and he wants to do the same for you and I. So let's go back through and let's think about this. In what ways do we have pride and self-protection that plays itself out in our own life? In, in ways that end up leading us to resist Jesus Because Jesus isn't quite aligning with us. What types of things exist in our life where, man, we're we're prone to doing that? Because here's the deal. You might be... Christian you might have you might you might be saved you might come to church you might be all like I know the Jesus stuff I whatever you know how to do the religious lingo and live the cultural Christianity that exists here but when it comes to your everyday life you've got places of morality places of compromise places of of, of, of your life where you've kind of made a different decision about Jesus where you've said yeah 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 I know that Jesus said that but come on it's 2023 I know that Jesus says, I'm only supposed to sleep with one person, and that marriage is between a male and a female, and, and that sex is reserved for the good gift of that marriage when they're in a covenant, but, but come on. I mean, is it really going to hurt anything? I love them. Come on. Really? Do you expect, like, this is the kinds of places, right? I know that I'm supposed to live with integrity at work, but come on, everybody's, shaving a little money off the top. Everybody's being lazy, or everybody is living in, here's, here's an example. I was, uh, you're, and yeah, some of y'all heard this, but I, I worked at Home Depot for years while I was an intern at The Journey in St. Louis, and, and, and there was just, you know, a lot, of, a lot of men there, a lot of older men, and there was just, you know, people come in to shop, and guess who shops more than, more than men in a place like Home Depot? is women. And so there's a culture of objectifying and ogling women there. And, and, you know, women attractive women walk by and, and men, you know, they'd make their comments. Oh, did you see her? Oh, like that. And they'd, you know, find a reason to go down that aisle and follow them. Like, I'm, this is the, y'all are looking at me like I'm a monster. Come on now. Don't act like I'm the only one that's experienced this. This is how the culture operates. Right? Now. There was other people there, claimed to be Christian, went to church, like, and they would do the same kinds of things. And then I might say, hey, bro, like, come on. You want to treat that girl like that? Like, what if that was your sister? What if that was your wife? Oh, come on, Jordan. Come on, man, you're being, you're being a stick in the mud. Like, come on, I know, I know Jesus stuff, but come on. Like, we're not hurting anything, right? One guy was like, listen, Jordan, you're, you're being extreme, I'm married, I'm happy, I'm faithful to my wife. She don't care who I'm looking at, or who He even went so bold to say who I'm thinking about when I'm with her, as long as I'm with her. Because I was having conversations with these men, like, hey man, I don't wanna ogle that woman because I don't wanna take away from the good gift that God has for me in my marriage with my wife. She's the one that I get to adore and enjoy. And when I look elsewhere, that reduces the joy that I have. But beyond that, that woman, deserves to be humanized, not objectified from me. Because that's what I want for my daughters, and for my wife, and for my mom, right? Like, that's what I want. And so that, i got to live that out. And I, I would get scoffed at as some just, you know, Ned Flanders fuddy-duddy. I'm like, listen, I, like, I'm just, I'm not going to go there. It's a battle that I, I'm going to fight. and It is a battle, man. It is. But it's worth it because Jesus never gives us rules to take from us. You understand that? When he says don't be lustful, when he says don't look at other women and, and, and you know, undress them with their eyes or, or, you know, vice versa, if you're a female, don't, don't fantasize and, and you, know, you know, lust after men. He, he's not trying to just go, you know what, we're, gonna, we're not going to have any fun. Some of y'all had that household, your parents just wouldn't let you have any fun and they never gave you a reason just because they said so, right? This is not our God. He's not saying, hey, we're going to come over here. No, 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 no fun for us. Turn your eyes. No, he's saying, hey, that leads to destruction, and I love you. We're going to go over here, and I'm going to lead you to life. When God gives us commands, he's never trying to steal from us. He's always, always, hear me, trying to lead us to life. But when you call that out, you try to live faithfully, People will mock. They will get defensive. They will dismiss parts of the scripture. They will call you a fool. This happened, um, listen, students, I have a ton of empathy for you. When I think back to junior high and high school, uh, I don't want to go back. That mess is hard, amen? hard season of life. Most, most people don't like themselves in that season. They're insecure, and so they're going to tear one another down. They're going to build up whatever opportunity for security that you can grab from popularity, from putting others down, from doing what the crowd says. We're so insecure when we're in middle school and high school, and that culture is so, man, it's like if, you've st- if you stood in a, in a, a swift-moving river, and you've tried to stand firm and not get swept up by that, or even to go upstream. You know how hard that is, right? If You lose your footing, you're, go- you're going, right? That's what it is like for our students that are in middle school and high school. And, and it's not centralized to the schools. It's just that age group, social media, the world, right? It's, it's really, really difficult. So I, I remember... I remember another story. Uh, I was, uh, I believe I was a junior, sophomore, junior. I think I was a junior. I don't know. But I was uh, an FCA, again, many of y'all know this story, but I was a, a, an FCA leader. So we had FCA group, which was really just, hey, anybody that doesn't want to go to like study hall or lunch and wants to go hang out and whatever, you can come do that. Cultural Christianity, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'll come, whatever, I'm an athlete, whatever, I'll, I'll come. And so, but, but there was a few of us that would get together to plan those meetings, and they were picked we were picked by the, the teachers that thought we were kind of the best, you know, quote unquote Christians in our in our grades. So there's like two from each class, two freshmen, two sophomore, two juniors, two seniors and and so I was one of them. And somebody suggested that we talk about sex and dating. And we're in this leader meeting planning this large group meeting. Rachel was actually there with me. Back back and we've talked about just the differences our story. It was crazy, but but we're in this conversation and and, and there is actively this defense and this dismissing. like quickly, quickly the conversation went to, yeah, but God doesn't really mean that stuff about waiting until marriage. Like that's where it went almost immediately. I was kind of quiet, she's not like me. I was kind of quiet and finally somebody said, what do you think, Jordan? What, what about you? Like are you, are you really waiting until marriage? I was like, yeah. That's yeah, I'm doing my best. That's I'm trying. That's what I want. I want to honor. And and I'm not kidding you. In that meeting of FCA leaders, I got mocked. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. No way. That's stupid. So Those are my examples, just a couple. I could tell you more. I think, if you're honest, you'll see that the response of the Pharisees, it's not all that culturally different than what we, what we deal with today, is it? I don't know what that looks like for you at work. Maybe there's an environment similar to what I talked about at Home Depot. Maybe it's about objectifying women. Maybe it's about wasting time. Stealing from your boss. Your boss is paying you a wage to do a job. Are you doing that job? Are you, you know, messing around. Something as simple as that. Listen, if that's the culture you live, you work in and you start doing your job instead of messing around with everybody else, that's going to mess everybody. That's going to that's tick them off. They're going to feel attacked, aren't they? Oh, you're saying I'm, you're saying, I'm, I'm not a good employee, You're, right? So you have this clash of following what, what we say we're going to do, right? Or what Jesus has called us to do. It, it clashes with what people want to do with their life. And, and if we're not careful, we get swept up in the confusion and the, in the self-protection and the pr- pride and the defense. And, and then all of a sudden, we're dismissing parts of the scripture. We're saying, yeah, but it really can't mean that. that you know, And you, got, you heard some line, somebody explained to you about the, the, ri- the origin of the Greek word, it doesn't mean this, or whatever, and you go, okay, that, that sounds good, I'm just going to go that. I'll regurgitate that. Any, anybody, anytime somebody calls me out for this sin of sexuality or this or whatever, I'll just, I'll just give them that line. Instead of submitting ourselves to God's word and saying, God, if, you, if you're saying that, that I should not be sleeping with somebody that is not my husband or my wife, then I don't know what to do with that, but I'm gonna take myself to your word and I'm gonna see if that's really true. And if it is, I'm gonna take you at your word. I'm gonna to submit to it, right? I, I don't know if it really matters if I work with integrity or not, but Lord, if you say that I should work and have integrity, then, then I'm gonna do that, right? And, and, and so we, we have to check our posture here. When we get called out, when the Bible convicts us How do you respond? Some of y'all are thinking, I'm gonna go to another church. (laughs) I actually wasn't joking. Like some of y'all are like, don't want this. You don't want a a, a savior who who confronts you. And that's what happens. You go to another place that won't call you out, but they're also not preaching the words of life. Are we perfect? No, goodness, no. I'll be the first to tell you all the things that I'm not good at and that we're not, but this is our final authority and we want to submit to this. And so if you see yourself in the same kind of irrational dismissive, like, yeah, but, and we start mocking other people to put them down, listen, here's, here's how we need to end. We need to go back to what the officer said. And in the face of mockery, in the face of questioning, young people, listen, I get it. You don't even know how insecure you are. You don't even know what, why you value the things you do and making the decisions that you make. Everything, like it's just a fog in your brain right now, and you don't even know. It gets better though. Hang in there. But it's so hard. But right now, here's what you need to know. In the face of those other people that are mocking, and you might have been swept up to bully people and put them down, because I went through a season of that. I could tell you stories about before I was faithfully following Jesus, two or three years before, where I was the one doing the mocking and the putting down. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're bullying and mocking and, and putting others down because they're trying to live faithfully for Jesus, or they're not like you, or so that you can feel better about yourself. If that's where you are, you need to go back and hear the words of these officers that say, No one's ever talked like this man. And you need to understand, those officers approached the Holy One of God, and and they, they sensed something. I better not put my hands on this guy. And here's the deal. All of us are on our way to stand before that man. That man who no one has ever talked like. No one has ever spoke like that before. No one's ever lived like that before. We're all on our way to stand before him. And guess what? The Bible says it doesn't matter how prideful, how awesome, how much justification you got, how good you are with your arguments, that in that moment, every knee will bow. You will hit your face and and know that you are nothing before him. So be careful. You're like, Jordan, I'm just in junior high. I'm just trying to survive. Jordan, I'm just in high school. I'm just trying to, I know. But you need to take the wisdom of the scripture and understand that the school is there to instruct you and to form you up. The Bible says, hey, you know what the beginning of wisdom is? You need to fear God. But you need to go ahead and fast forward your life and understand where it ends. And that's before the throne of Jesus. And you need to reverse engineer your life so that you, when you stand before him, you have said, I took you at your word. I was a, I was a fool to the world, but Jesus, I have put going all in on you. And Jesus says, hey, you'll never regret it. Everything you've given up that the world says was so important, it'll be returned to you a hundredfold. That's how we have to live our life. That's the gospel that Jesus is laying before us. It is offensive to our pride, to our authority, to our worldview, to what we want to do. But it's offensive in the best way. It's offensive in the sense that the Savior is calling out what we are headed toward as harm. And he's saying, Hey, no, no, come to me. I'll lead you to life. So, no one's ever talked like this man. No one has the authority to stand before this man. We will all bow. And repentance will be required. Where we acknowledge we're in sin and we need to turn from that sin and we need a Savior. That will be required of you. Would you do it today? Trust in Jesus today. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you have more questions. That's okay. You can ask them. But understand, no one's ever talked like this, Jesus. There will be no other option that you get to weigh out. This is, Je- is Jesus' world. This is his kingdom, and we'll all stand before him and give an, an account. What did we do with his word? What did we do with who he is? Let's pray. Father, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that your word is rich, that it is real, that we can see ourselves in it, that your spirit stirs in us to call us to life. And I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would break through the resistance and, and the work of the enemy to bring shame, guilt, or for self-protection, that you would pierce through that, as your word does, pierce through, sharper than any two-edged sword, separate us, Lord, bone from marrow, motives from from beliefs, and, and cut to the core of our hearts so that we would trust fully in you as our Savior, Jesus. So may your spirit come and do a work of life and of repentance and of regeneration here in this place. For those of us that are living on the fence that we've, made you, Jesus, into a good teacher, that we'll take some of the stuff you say, like we're good with that. Would you just wreck us before your holiness? It's in your name we pray.